0: and saved
1: roll over my bones when sorrow
2: Happy Sunday morning. It's wonderful to be here with you all to worship and just be in the presence of our Lord. Even though we're all spread out, we are still within the presence of our Lord. So we have that to celebrate. But before we begin this morning, I wanted to give just a couple of shout-outs. First off, to Terry, my girl, thank you so much for filling in for me last week. Super last minute. You rocked it. You are amazing. God bless you for that. And while we are on the shout-out reel, I thought I would just continue and give thanks to a few other people. So you obviously see amazing musicians each and every week show up, they practice, they lead us all into worship. They're awesome, obviously, but there's people behind the scenes So I just wanted to take a second and thank. First off, Drinkle, back here on the board, he makes us sound good each and every week. He's super faithful and he's awesome. And then behind the camera, we have Cameron, behind both cameras we fancy no so Cameron thank you Drinkle thank you everybody who has been involved just a huge thank you for making this possible it's been a learning curve for all of us so thank you so much okay are you guys ready we invite you as you're able you can stand you can sit but I invite you to tune your heart tune your spirit towards the Lord towards his goodness and let's bless him as we enter in this morning This morning, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. It doesn't always look the way we want it to look. But today, we remember you are indeed sovereign. You are in control. Lord, I want to invite you this morning to grab a hold of us, grab a hold of our hearts. Speak to us. Soften us towards you and towards your spirit this morning, we pray. I ask for you to anoint Steve as he brings forth your word this morning, your truth. And Lord, we just want to dedicate this entire morning to you, and for your glory, and for your honor. We love you so much, Lord. Receive this this morning. May you be blessed. All of you at home this morning, join us in saying, amen.
3: Hey, everyone. Rob here. If we have not met before, I work at Northview and I have the honor of working with our middle school and high school students, and I have been for a while now, and I love it. I wanted to bring something to your attention and honor a very special group of our own. I'll be honest, today, like many things, was originally going to be different. Had we been at church in person, I would have been uh, joined on stage by an incredible group, our graduating seniors. I would have allowed them an opportunity to share about their experiences at Northview and share what's next for them on the other side of graduation. Then I would have offered a time of prayer for the members, for you guys to pray for our seniors as they head off into the next season and chapter of life and commission them in the name of Jesus. Then later this evening, I would have invited their family, their friends, their leaders, the staff, the elders back to Northview for an evening of our very own NVSM style graduation. However, as we all know, things are a little bit different right now. And instead of being together in fellowship in person at Northview, we're online. And although I can't have every senior share with you as I had hoped, I wanted to at very least give this incredible group of students their own shout out and congratulations even here on the digital platform. Take a look at this. Incredible group of students most of whom I've had the honor of knowing since they entered into youth ministry in sixth grade here at Northview I was the small group leader for these boys their sixth and seventh grade years I've had the honor of baptizing several of them as they've made decisions to follow Jesus I've served with them in Mexico and so much more not to mention all the camps retreats events and more throughout the years they have even moved with me in my own journey at Northview and have firsthand experienced every step of that incredible journey. And I'm so thankful they have been and will continue to be a part of my story here at Northview. I've learned so much from them and have been constantly impressed by each. This is a talented group in many areas, various skills that have only grown and will no doubt take them to new and exciting areas in life. But all the athletic, academic, drama, music, and other skills pale in comparison to how they as a group have sought Jesus, desire to learn about him, and have encouraged others in their own faith. I have fond memories of this group from the past seven years and am so excited to see what they are able to accomplish in the years to come. So even though they cannot join us in person today, I encourage you, find creative ways to celebrate them in their own way because they deserve it. To the seniors, to you guys, this is for you. Thank you for all the incredible memories and experiences from across the years. Each and every one of you has a special place in my heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you head off into whatever may be next. May he guide you and may you have an impact on others for his name's sake. This is not a goodbye, far from it, but merely a humble acknowledgement of your incredible accomplishments. You have a place within Northview Student Ministries, not just as alumni, but as examples of high school students who chose to serve and follow Jesus. May you continue to be an example of him to others. You will always have a home at Northview and within NVSM. Remember to visit as you head off into the world. Blessings to each of you. We'll celebrate more.
4: Good morning, Northview. Thank you for joining again. Here we are. And I want to say a shout-out to all our families and friends that are watching not only just across the state but across the country. And uh, we're thrilled that you're joining us this morning. So uh, we're going to step into the Psalms. And um, to get us started this morning, I want to get us all thinking in the same direction. So I want to begin with the problem of pain. All right, think about Pain. The problem of pain is deeply troubling to many thinking people, and they find great fault with God for allowing a world that is so flawed. And the reasoning goes like this. Either God is all good, but he's not all powerful, i.e., he wants to do something to fix it, but he can't. Or God is all powerful, but he's not all good. Therefore, he won't fix it, even though he could. So if you bring those two ideas together, two lies that have to be dealt with are, number one, God is not all-powerful, and number two, God is not all-good. And this morning, we're going to look at his all-powerfulness. Right? And then next week, we'll start looking at his all-goodness. So the lie that we're countering this morning is that God is not all-powerful. And to set that up, let's review what we covered in Psalm 2 last week. When we looked at Psalm 2, we saw that the nations were raging and that the peoples were plotting. And what was the plot? What were they scheming about? And the scheme was, let us burst or shatter Yahweh's bonds apart and cast away his cords from us. In other words, they were saying, we no longer will be shackled by him, his law, or his rule. In other words, we reject him as our leader. And Psalm 2 says... This is all done in vain. We saw Yahweh's reaction to this. It says he laughs and scoffs at his detractors. It says he holds them in derision, which is um, holding them in mocking disdain. And when the time comes, he will terrify them, terrify his antagonists by setting his king, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, on his throne in Jerusalem. Jesus The risen Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And therefore, the warning to rulers and to us as well is to repent and make peace with him while it is still possible to make peace with him. We are told to submit to him and to kiss the ring, which is a symbolic gesture of submission and surrender to his authority. And the psalm's conclusion is this. Blessed, it says, uh, happy, Um, wise is the person, are all who take refuge in him. And this psalm sets the stage for the rest of our journey through the Psalms. So before we go any farther, why don't we commit this to the Lord and uh, pray, and then, then we'll begin our look in the Psalms? So would you join me this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we seek you this morning. We ask for your help. You know we're scattered. We know that you had blessed us, you were with us when we were always gathered together. But Lord, we know you can also work with scattered people. That's all over the Old Testament and all over the New Testament. As people were scattered, you went with them and you were with them. So as we are in our homes, and our places, as we are gathered, maybe as a family or we're by ourselves, would the sense of your presence be with us and would we know that we have your favor this morning because we are seeking you and seeking your heart And we ask for wisdom as we go through this. Uh, Lord, validate the truth of this message. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. So again, as we engage with the Psalms, and uh, grab your Bibles, because we're going to be looking at a lot of passages that talk about the power of God this morning. Um, First of all, we're at a disadvantage, all right? So the Psalms are a great book. A lot of us appreciate it. But, you know, it happened a long time ago and, you know, the attitude could be, well, what could it possibly say for us today? And, you know, it's a person to say, well, I mean, yeah, you know, look, there's songs. We don't even have the music to them. What good is that? <clears throat> and also we are, are so far removed from these events, they, they feel like stories, not something that really happened. I mean, not real history, not, you know, real people, but it is real history. And it is real, people. Um, But the problem is, we're again removed from the tension and the pressure of the situations that created them. So we just read it and go, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I guess so. But there's no sense of danger or loss or threat uh, as if we were living right there. For the psalmist, uh, the life situations were very real and filled with drama and tension. Some of them were written when the psalmist himself didn't know if he would be alive the next day. So that's the kind of tension point. So try to engage with that, all right? Plus, there were real battles, not, uh, not just wars, but there were real theological battles back in that day, just like there are today. There was a, ju- a, a just jousting for position, so to speak. Yahweh's claim of Lord of all, was challenged uh, just as we saw that not everyone was happy and wanted David to be king, so also not everyone wanted Yahweh to be lord of all either and that was even true within Israel. You can see this when you read the history, many of us are reading through the Bible again, and we probably just come through first and second Samuel first and second kings, first and second chronicles, and you can see uh, the different currents in the the different places and positions that people are jockeying for position um, with Yahweh versus the other religions and the idolatry that took place. And and not only was that true within Israel, but it was especially true outside of Israel. The enemy nations, the ones who were against Israel, just like today, reveled in the idea of putting Israel and Yahweh uh, in their place. And so Yahweh faced human opposition on an earthly level. But he also faced competition on a spiritual level. Other gods vied for the title of Lord of All. Kind of like a cosmic king of the hill, right? Who were some of the competitors? Well, let's take a look at them. First, well, it was one I think you'd recognize, Dagon. He was the god of the Philistines, and he's prominent in the story of Samson. And if you remember uh, He fell across, he was knocked down several times and fell on the threshold and therefore the Philistines would never step on the threshold. It was a superstitious thing because Yahweh had been defeating Dagon and so that was one primary contender. Ra was the god of the Egyptians, uh, the god of the sun and uh, you would recognize that from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark with the staff of Ra and that whole thing, that is where that comes from. Then there was Moloch which is a wicked one, that's where the burning of children on these bronze statues would occur, an awful, terrible thing. And then El, uh, who was at one point the top Canaanite god, but he was replaced by Baal, or we would say today, Baal, who became the top Canaanite god. Now there's many more. You can read through the Old Testament and There's a bunch of other names in there, but for this morning's purposes, we'll focus on Baal, or Baal, as we would call it. Baal was a universal god of fertility in the fertile crescent. So that's, you know, the whole, from Babylon all the way down to Egypt, that's that fertile crescent. Uh, And Israel's, of course, located in the heart of that. And he was also called the Lord of the earth and the storm god, the one who rides the clouds. And these, what you'll find is these stock descriptions of Baal are then confiscated and attributed to Yahweh. Read in Psalm 68 here. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. And again, it says Selah. What does that mean? We said, pause, think about that, ponder on that, right? To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. So now that we see Yahweh described as the one who rides the heavens, and of course, we know that Jesus, uh, we've been told, will return riding on the clouds. So this becomes kind of a my dad's bigger than your dad sort of thing, right? My God's more powerful than your God. And we see the nations plus their gods battling it out for supremacy. But there's not just things going down here on the planet. There's a lot more going on in the spiritual realm, the, what we'd call the heavenlies, uh, than just that. I'd like to recommend a book again. I've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, if you wish to research and just read on this further, it's called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. And he brings into focus the whole issue of God, Yahweh's rule, and his involvement with the heavenly council. Uh, we get several glimpses of the heavenly council in the book of Psalms. Psalms 89 will get us started. Uh, It starts by reiterating God's covenantal promises to David. We looked at those uh, just two weeks ago. And then in verse 5, it launches into extolling Yahweh for his greatness. Look at what it says. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Here we see the idea of a heavenly council. And that in that council, no one compares to Yahweh. That he, Yahweh, is awesome above all those who are around him. And that no one is as mighty or as faithful as him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of gods. Look at this description of his power as Psalm 89 goes on and says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, and the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The churning, tossing of the sea here is in the ancient world, was always thought of as the god of chaos. And Rahab was the great dragon of the sea of chaos. And here it says, God stills the churning waters of chaos and he crushes the dragon like a carcass. And here he's also credited with being the creator of heaven and earth. And that is one of the titles that Yahweh goes by, creator of the heavens and the earth. The psalm goes on to say this, the north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High, your right hand. That means it's raised in power and raised in authority. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. We're going to look at uh, how the Psalms play out God's steadfast love and faithfulness. You're going to see it's imprinted all the way across the Psalms. But he is almighty God, and there are none who can challenge. Now, this is not, if, if this has a familiar ring to it, this is not unfamiliar language to those of us who know the Lord and know the New Testament. We encounter language like this all across the New Testament, but especially in the book of Revelation. Let me take you to Revelations. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 4 and 5. And look what it means. We'll pick up in chapter 4, verse 9. And look what it says. It's talking about John sees the skies rolled back and he gets a glimpse of what's going on behind the veil, so to speak. And he sees this incredibly dynamic thing happening and there's stuff, all kinds of moving parts. And uh, if you start with verse 9, it says, "...and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne..." who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. We're familiar with the imagery of the 24 elders surrounding the throne. We're also familiar with creatures called the cherubim and the seraphim. We pick those guys up in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And also <coughs> we're familiar with the four living creatures who encircle the throne night and day And they're crying out, right? Holy, holy, holy. That's where we get the song that we sing, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It says they cry that out night and day. So another aspect of God's is not only is he all powerful, not only is he all good, but he is holy, which means he has integrity. It's another thing we'll look at in our study of the Psalms. We're also familiar with the myriads and myriads of angels. Angels are uh, familiar to us, encircling the throne, and as they're doing that, they're crying out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So we know that heaven's dynamic. But in truth, it's far more dynamic than we could possibly believe. The Bible gives us insights that there's a lot more going on in the spiritual realm than we are normally aware of. For example, we are well aware of the person and personage known as Satan. Uh, He shows up, right? We're familiar with that. He shows up several places, the Garden of Eden, a number of other places. Uh, One of the places we're most familiar with is in the book of Job. And in Job... It reads this in chapter 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This is the heavenly counsel, the divine counsel, coming before and presenting themselves to Yahweh. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You know the story well, right? Satan brings innumerable miseries upon Job to get him to basically, uh, as his wife said, curse God and die. Now we tend to skip over the phrase in this story, the sons of God. But Dr. Heiser points out that just as God wants and has a human family, so God God wants and has a divine family. And this family is known as the divine council. God, Yahweh, is the ruler of this divine council. Pastor Jan Hedinger reminds us in his book, The Safe King, that God, Yahweh, is the executor and is in charge uh, of uh, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of the cosmic government of heaven. And that, that system is without a system of checks and balances uh, or an appeal process. In other words, what that means is God is a commonal to no one but himself. And we as humans have become deeply suspicious of that. We have watched government. We know history. And we know that ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And so how can God be trusted? So without a system of checks and balances or an appeal process, that God is accountable to no one but himself. And we become familiar with that. We we have become deeply suspicious of that because we know that ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And we've watched history. We've watched governments. We know politicians, uh, many of them have become corrupt. And so uh, not everyone likes this idea, including, Scripture tells us, some of those who are on the divine council themselves. Psalm 82 gives another insight into this when it tells us this. Psalm 82, starting with verses 1 and 2, says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And then it says that word again, Selah. So it's saying, pause, consider this. And the question is, um, what's going on here? Well, to make a long story short, obviously we can't cover the whole thing in 30 minutes, but to make a long story short, when God scattered the nations at Babel, they were broken into 70 nations. And you might recognize that number. It's a prominent number in Scripture, right? The 70 nations broken at Babel, it's the same number that went up to the mountain with Moses to eat the meal with God. If you remember in Exodus 24, God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So there were 70 that went, and that 70 became known as the Sanhedrin. It's the same number of the council members, the Sanhedrin, who put Jesus to death. Council members sons of God called princes in the book of Daniel were placed over these nations because they had rejected God's, Yahweh's, rule over them. Not only did the nations become corrupted, but it also appears that the divine council itself also became corrupted, and then God is calling them into account for their corruption here in Psalm 82. They are literally chastised for leading unjustly and showing partiality to the wicked. We see this idea that these divine council members are now in opposition to Yahweh uh, in in other places in Scripture. One of the most prominent is the book of Daniel. Daniel had been praying to understand a vision that had come his way from the Lord. And Daniel is informed by an angel that uh, he tells him all that's gone on behind the scenes. Because Daniel was wondering why his prayer didn't get answered. It had been delayed, and he thought maybe God hadn't heard. But uh, the angel was letting him know that his prayer had been heard uh, right away, the minute he had prayed it. But that he had run in, this angel had run into opposition, and he was not able to get to Daniel until reinforcements had come. It reads like this in Daniel chapter 10. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And so this angel comes and reveals to Daniel what's going on behind the scenes in this war in the heavens, so to speak. But that very angel had been delayed for 21 days. You know, and here's a thought this morning. Sometimes you pray a prayer and then nothing happens. and You think, oh, well, God must not have heard or, um, you know, I guess uh, I didn't pray it right. Or uh, sometimes we have to consider the factor that our prayer has been heard, but there's more going on to answering a prayer that there's opposition to keep those prayers from getting answered. And so we need to pray, God, if there's interference going on here, I pray that you break through the interference in the answer to my prayer. And so we see here uh, there's resistance in the spiritual realm, right? Later in, in the passage, we find out there's not only a prince for Persia, but there's also a prince for Greece. And so biblical co- scholars have long known that there are these entities that have been placed over the nation. These princes are also doomed because the psalmist lets us know that these corrupt spiritual rulers are going to be overthrown by God, just like the corrupt earthly leaders are going to be. Later in the Psalm 82 and verses 6 through 8, it says, I said to you, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die, and you shall fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. God is the almighty ruler of the universe and of the divine council is going to banish all opposition to what Dr. Heiser calls the Edenic vision. That's a fancy way of saying God's going to bring back Eden. God's going to reconstitute the heavens and the earth, and they're going to work the way they were originally purposed to work. And he is going to re-inherit all the dispossessed nations that got scattered at the Tower of Babel. As we saw last week, uh, How he's going to do that, he's going to do that with his king, the one who will rule with the iron scepter. We see the same idea explained in the New Testament very clearly. Paul lays this out in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, then comes the end when he, that being Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death. They will be, as we saw last week, dashed to pieces like pottery. So rather than the picture, some of us have an old man up in heaven who's bored out of his wits, out of his mind, and has nothing to do, or an old, weak man up in heaven who wishes he could do something but simply can't, the picture we come away with in Scripture, is a very different picture. We have a dynamic, all-powerful, sovereign king of the universe who is absolutely brilliant in facing opposition on several levels, both from his human family and also from his divine family. And he is going to banish all opposition. As David so eloquently says in Psalm 59, You, O Lord, you, Lord God of hosts, are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. And again, there's Selah. That means we should pause because it's not just talking to kings, it's also talking to us. We should not be about evil. So here's a last thought um, for this morning. Try to tie it all together. You're saying, well, how does this play out for Jesus in the New Testament? Well, there's a scene in Jesus' life uh, that takes everything we've talked about this morning and kind of crystallizes it down to one statement uh, that he makes about him being God, not just God Almighty, all right? Remember, the lie we started out to Connor was that God is not all-powerful, and it's this passage is found in the Gospel of Luke. The scene is the trial of Jesus. They, Jesus' opponents, are having a difficult time because, you know, they, had, they basically, as a kangaroo court, and they had jury rigged this whole thing and set it all up. And all their carefully laid out testimonies uh, aren't collaborating, they're not matching up. And so the things, the whole trial's in danger of, of falling apart and falling into a mistrial. And literally that would have meant Jesus had to be let go free. Uh, and in an absolute desperation, the high priest, Caiaphas, pulls uh, a last trump card out of his hat and he challenges Jesus with this statement. He says, I adjure you. In other words, like swearing on a Bible, that's how we'd understand it. I adjure you to tell the truth by the living God. Swear as testimony. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus had been silent up to that point against all the accusations. But then Jesus answers the high priest and he says to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming, and what's the phrase there? on the clouds of heaven. Jesus didn't die for something that he did. Jesus died for who he claimed to be. Notice it was the only charge he was willing to answer. And who did he claim to be? The Almighty One, the cloud rider. And Caiaphas knew it. That was enough to tip him over the edge. He went nuts, tore his clothes, and said what? Not are you speaking truth, but we've heard the blasphemy. And for that, they put Jesus to death. So two questions come out of this morning that uh, I want you to think about and, and wrestle with. Uh, when he, he the Lord Jesus Christ, comes on the clouds, this is like lightning flashing from the east to the west. When he comes on the clouds, will we be found opposing him or cheering him? Those who oppose... will be crushed like pieces of pottery by a rod of iron. Those who are cheering him will be taken in and made his family. And then secondly, church. I know it's difficult times and I know, know it's distracting and all that kind of stuff, but are we expectantly looking for the one who rides the clouds? Are we watching for him? Think about that. Wrestle with that. We'll, uh, after worship, come back with some uh, questions and then some prayer points. But uh, again, thanks for tuning in this morning and we'll turn it back over to Esther.
2: Always faithful, we give thanks and praise to you for your unfailing love. Help us, Lord, to be steadfast in our walk with you, that in everything we do it would point to you for your glory. If we have done anything out of selfish intent, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness this morning. We also ask that your love and your power work in and through and among our lives. Bring to our minds what you have taught us through your word this morning. We love you so much. We dedicate all of this and this time to you for your honor and for your glory. Let it all point to you and may you receive it as a beautiful, sweet incense this morning. All of you at home and join us in saying and offering all these things up to the Lord this morning. We say, Amen.
4: Thank you, Esther and team, for leading us in worship. And I hope that you at home are joining in and You know, whether you stand or whether you sit, engage your heart, engage your mind, and uh, just we'll look forward to next week as well. As we've done, as our habit and practice since we've been scattered, is that we have some discussion questions that you can wrestle with at home, and um, I'll just walk through with them quickly. And uh, So the questions for this week are, number one, what do you think about the idea that people don't want God as their leader? When you think of that, what what emotions does that stir up? What, What kind of pulls does that create in you? Wrestle with that. Talk about that a little bit. Number two, how would you respond if someone challenged you with either God is all good but not all powerful or God is all powerful but not all good? What would be your response? Where would you turn in Scripture? What would you give as a response? Number three, What's your picture of what goes on in the spiritual realm? Is your picture of God just the guy who sits on a throne? Um, what, what's your picture of what's going on so to, behind the curtain, so to speak? Right? Number four, have you ever thought of or heard of the divine counsel before? Is that a new idea to you? Uh, right. Uh, again, the book is uh, Michael Heiser, The Unseen Realm, and I'd recommend it highly. Number five, has this helped you reassess your picture of God's power? Did this show you some different levels that you hadn't thought of before of how powerful God is? Uh, Number six, how did you answer the last two questions? A was, when he comes on the clouds, that's the Lord Jesus, will we be found opposing him or cheering him? And then B, church, are we expectantly looking for the one who rides the clouds? I hope you have fun with those as a family or who's ever gathered together. And, uh, you know, even if you're by yourself, take a notebook and uh, grab a pen and write your answers down. Think them all between you and the Lord. I think that'd be really powerful. Some prayer points. Uh, Let's list some things up to the Lord. First, let's praise God uh, for protecting and sparing us as a family, as a church family of believers uh, during this whole COVID-19 outbreak. So far, we have been marvelously spared and uh, deeply grateful for that. So let's express that to the Lord. Number two, let's pray for those who are facing, uh, because of this whole thing, financial. Uh, a number of people are running out of margin. Physical, physical. Uh, We've got people sick. We've had people sick. We've got people in hospitals. We've had a couple people that are close to us die. Um, And then relational battles. Um, One of the things that our friends at Northwest Family Life have let us know is that uh, during pressure times like this, domestic violence increases greatly. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to be the spirit of peace within our homes during this pandemic. Then number three, let's continue to pray that Jesus will give us a way to defeat this COVID-19 virus. Uh, I don't think that this has caught God by surprise, and I think he's wiser than uh, this virus. So it would be wonderful if that was put to an end. And number four, let's continue to pray that if that doesn't happen, and obviously we can't see the big picture, so we're, we're locked in there, but... Uh, Let's continue to pray that as this keeps rolling on, that people will seek Jesus and ask him to save them. The Bible says, don't fear the one who can kill you physically, but fear the one who can take your body and soul and throw you into hell. And that's the greater fear, the fear of the Lord God. So uh, let's pray they turn to Jesus and escape the wrath of God. And then number five, let's praise God for his power and his authority and let's resubmit ourselves to him and to his kingdom rule. All right? Those are challenging things. Church, wrestle with them. Lean into it. Submit well. We'll see you next week.